Section 14 of Kentucky's Famous Feuds and Tragedies by Charles G. Mutzenberg. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Kentucky's Famous Feuds and Tragedies by Charles G. Mutzenberg. Section 14. The Tolliver Martin Logan Vendetta, Part 5. As at this time practically every citizen in the county was aligned on one side or the other, it seemed impossible to secure juries that would try cases impartially and without prejudice. This state of affairs did not escape the attention of Mr. Carruth. The result of his investigations of affairs in Rowan County resulted in a nolle posequis, qualified by certain conditions, of the charges against the Tollivers and Humphrey. His proceeding in this respect is contained in the following report to Judge Cole, presiding judge of the circuit court. Honorable A. E. Cole, Judge of the Rowan Circuit Court. Under your appointment I have acted as Commonwealth Attorney pro tempore at the special jury and present August term of the Rowan Circuit Court. I have given the felony docket, over which alone, under the present law, I have jurisdiction, careful study and attention. I have also investigated as thoroughly as a stranger to the people of Rowan County could do in the limited time of my service, the causes which led to the present unhappy condition of affairs, and have sought to find a remedy for the evils afflicting this people. I find it to be the opinion of the law-abiding citizens of all parties that the public peace could be best secured by the continued absence from the county of Rowan of the acknowledged and recognized leaders of the two rival factions, Craig Tolliver and Cook Humphrey. Against the former there is now pending one felony charge, that of false arrest and imprisonment. Against Humphrey, there are three indictments for felony on the docket, each for conspiring, etc., to commit personal violence. I have the written request of each of these persons accused to suspend further proceedings in their cases, coupled with a promise on the part of each to leave the county of Rowan never to return unless, temporarily, to attend the funeral of some immediate relative. The persons charged to have been injured by their acts also request this disposition of the pending cases. It is the opinion of the members of the grand jury now in session, and of the vast majority of the citizens of the county, that this disposition of the cases will do much to restore peace and confidence to the community. After full consultation with the members of the bar residing here or practicing here, with the commander of the forces now stationed at the county seat, and with citizens of high position and authority in the Commonwealth, and considering the uncertainty of the criminal trials, I am convinced that this is the best available method to secure the end in view. No harm can, by this means, be done the State, because, should the agreement be violated, the cases can at once be set for trial and prosecutions made. The following written agreements were then signed and attested. Asher G. Carruth, Commonwealth's Attorney Pro Tempore, 
14th Judicial District. I request you to suspend any further proceedings in the cases now pending in the Rowan Circuit Court against me, and promise that I will remain away from the county of Rowan permanently. Should I ever return to said county, I am willing that the cases shall be redocketed and the trials proceed. I will leave said county on or before the 8th day of August, A.D. 1886. In this agreement I reserve the right, in the event of the death of any of my immediate relatives, to return to attend their burial, but I must immediately thereafter leave the county to permanently remain away. Signed, Craig Tolliver. Attest, D.B. Logan. A similar agreement was prepared and signed by W.C. Humphrey, attested by G.A. Cassidy. We do not wish to criticize Mr. Carruth's course in this matter, but it occurs to us, and must occur to the reader, that the practice of compromising with outlaws proves a weak-kneed administration of the law. It seems that a man or set of men may terrorize a community as pleases them, then demand of the authorities immunity for crimes on certain conditions prescribed by the criminals. Mr. Carruth acted for the best interests of the community, as he believed. Aware that juries were partial or prejudiced, he realized that trials in Rowan County of either of the factions would result in injustice one way or another. The grand juries were corrupt and accustomed to wreak vengeance on some and whitewashing others. The selection of trial juries was so palpably unfair that visiting lawyers commented upon it, and afterward testified before the legislative committee to that fact. Several court officers were undisguised partisans. It seems to us, however, that these cases might have been removed from the county and tried elsewhere upon a change of venue. At any rate, the compromise effected by Mr. Carruth proved not only unsatisfactory, but ill-advised. The success of his scheme was founded upon the belief that the parties to the agreement would adhere to the pledge to leave the county. He did not understand the character of Mr. Craig Tolliver. To secure his signature to an agreement that would put an enemy out of his way was one thing, to make him keep it another. Tolliver remained absent from Moorhead long enough to assure himself that the indictments against him were dismissed, when he promptly returned. Although the compromise was based upon the understanding that if either returned except under the conditions recited in the agreement, that the indictments against the party so returning should be redocketed and revived, this was never done. Tolliver was free to continue his career of crime. Humphrey kept his word and never violated his pledge. He sold out his earthly possessions in Rowan County and bade farewell to his native state. Previous to his election as sheriff, Humphrey had been a highly esteemed citizen, a man of exemplary character, of amiable disposition. 
His fatal connection with the feud was mainly due to his unfortunate selection of Stuart Baumgartner as his deputy. The latter was a citizen of Elliott County, where he had a reputation for violence and desperation. Pursuing the same course in Rowan, Humphrey's association with him made him many enemies. Baumgartner's connection with the Martin faction compromised Humphrey. Thus, step by step, he was thrown into the whirlpool of trouble. The formerly quiet, inoffensive citizen grew dangerous and violent. The dormant, unholy passion of revenge was aroused. Humphrey became for the time being a character dreaded by those that opposed him. At the time of his participation in the feud, he was yet in his twenties and unmarried. After leaving Kentucky, he went west, never to return to his native Heath, until after the death of Craig Tolliver and his followers, and then only on special business. With Humphrey gone, the Martin faction practically disbanded. Had Tolliver observed the treaty stipulations as faithfully and honestly as did Humphrey, this chapter might end here. The writer would be spared the unpleasant task of continuing the record of violence, murder, and anarchy. It is evident that Tolliver had entered into this agreement with the avowed purpose of violating it. He had every reason to believe that Humphrey would observe it. He out of the way, there stood no one to dispute Tolliver's undisputed sway in the county, especially at Moorhead. His adherents remained faithful and joined him. They did as they pleased, in fact had things their own way. If the authorities did not dare molest them, who should? A few of the citizens who had attempted a mild protest against Craig Tolliver's dictatorship were easily intimidated by keeping them in constant fear of death or destruction of their property. Saloons were opened and operated without license. Magistrates refused to issue warrants, knowing that such an act would forfeit their lives. Had the warrants been issued, no officers could have been persuaded to execute them. The residences and grog shops of the Tollivers resembled and were arsenals. An effective and favorite method of Craig Tolliver to rid himself of any, to him, undesirable citizens, was to send a written communication to them, setting forth the fact that Rowan County could dispense with their presence, and that on a certain day in the near future certain funerals would take place unless they were gone from the county. A funeral is not a pleasant function at any time, and the prospect of one's own set for a definite time has a tendency, with many persons, to try hard to avoid it, if possible. It was, therefore, not surprising that parties thus notified preferred absence from the county to being principals at funerals. A few regarded those letters as idle and meaningless threats, but the sincerity of the advice could no longer be doubted or questioned when several prophesied funerals did take place. 
to detail the circumstances of the various killings that occurred during that stormy period of rowan county would prove tedious suffice it to say that from the first monday in august eighteen eighty four to the twenty second of july eighteen eighty seven twenty-three men were killed in rowan county no convictions were secured for any of these murders but of this later on on october twentieth eighteen eighty six h m logan was shot from ambush in the streets of moorhead while walking from his place of business to his residence the wound was dangerous but not fatal judge carey came in for a full share of the enemy's hatred and vengeance his hotel was frequently fired into at night by parties armed with needle guns and large caliber winchesters his house assumed the appearance of having been struck by a cyclone windows and doors had been completely shot away and the walls perforated in a thousand places it required neither doors nor windows to admit daylight the exchange hotel shared a similar fate it was managed by h c powers another humphrey adherent this kind of argument was convincing more forcible than words or letters powers and carey both felt a sudden desire to remove from the atmosphere of moorhead concluding that covington kentucky possessed greater allurements for the time being than did their home town both remained away from the county until after the bloody final battle at moorhead in eighteen eighty seven unfortunately we have no authentic account of the leave-taking between the tollivers and carey and powers it must have been very affectionate since the tollivers had exhibited such concern for their safety comfort and health as to persuade them so urgently to remove to a happier and better land howard logan h m too had enough of this joke about funeral predictions he could not see the point of it, and concluded that Ashland, on the banks of the beautiful Ohio, would be the proper place to recover from his labors and see the world. He also remained away until after the annihilation of the Tollivers. There were a number of others who seemed suddenly seized with a fever to emigrate. Among them were John R. Powers, James E. Clark, a prominent lawyer, who found a more congenial home in Unionville, Clark County, Missouri, James Brain, a brother-in-law of Judge Carey, R.C. Humphrey, brother of Cook Humphrey, both of whom settled in Missouri. Many others scouted in neighboring counties until the return of peace. Judge Tussie, brother-in-law of the murdered John Martin, on the advice and persuasion of his wife, remained absent in Carter County and returned only to take part in the final drama. Nearly all of the parties who were thus driven from the county were men of wealth and business capacity. Removals continued. The magnitude of the exodus may be realized by examining the figures given the population of the county seat, Moorhead, 
from 1885 until the early part of 1887. In 1885, Moorhead was a flourishing town of more than 700 inhabitants. Within two years, this figure was reduced to less than 300. More than half the population had removed. Private residences and storehouses stood empty, with windows nailed up, or were taken possession of by the Tollivers whenever it suited their fancy. The Tollivers made up the population. The offices of police judge and town marshal were filled by Tollivers. On June 1, 1887, Craig Tolliver had the entire town under absolute control. He was elected police judge without opposition. He did a driving business, selling whiskey, without license, of course. The law as to obtaining license to sell liquor applied not to him. He was above the law. He took possession of the Exchange Hotel, which H.C. Powers had left without a tenant by right of conquest. Why should he have troubled himself with renting property when houses stood empty, and he was monarch of the town? The property of his enemies was his, the spoils of war. End of section 14